get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today? You're listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. All right, welcome to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. I am Joe. What's up, everybody? I'm Josh. And we, we love making this podcast for you guys. We and do. this episode was so much fun. We got to talk to Chad Price, who's yeah. the CEO of Mako Medical. Yep. And he shared so many good practical bits of information, like things that you can be doing today to become a better business owner, a better entrepreneur, just a more grateful person. And uh, I just really like this episode and I'm excited to get to share it with people. I mean, I'm telling you what, his tips were really one of the biggest ones, this 10 by 10 thing, which you'll hear about everybody, like just game changing, like really makes sense. Like just get out of ourself, express generosity, express thankfulness through some things you're going to find out about now. Yeah. So let's get into it with Chad Price. Chad Price, Mako Medical Laboratories. Do this stuff. And uh, today on the show, we've got Chad Price. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank so, you. Yeah. <laughs> so good, man. Chad, you're, Chad's like the guy when we did first, uh, what, one or two episodes in, I'm like, he just came to mind. I'm like, I got to share this with Chad Price. I don't know why, but I got to share it with him. And he was so responsive yeah. right away and encouraging. And I was like, yeah, this is good. That's great. Yeah. So just real quick, let me do some of the, just if you don't know who Chad Price is, uh, just some bullet points. CEO of the year, won 30 under 30, won 40 under 40, won the Fast 50 award three times, which is a record. Uh, won the best place to work in the triangle with Mako, which is pretty exciting. He's been appointed by governor to different boards, trustees, serves as chief of staff for Chief Justice Mark Martin and the NC State Supreme Court. He's a licensed pilot, and that's just a handful of the things, but you got a lot going on. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious. Stay uh, busy. You got, you got a lot of accomplishments there, but did you always know you wanted to be, did you always know you were interested in business? Did that start young for you? What? Uh, not really. I just think that... Um, Oh, there we go, Josh. I get that. I got to push that mic close to your face. There you go. I think everybody's path is different. Um, if you're poor, I grew up, we grew up poor. So yeah. it was a desire to get out of the exact situation. So, you know, you get tired of eating cafeteria food and wearing shoes that have holes in them. So yeah. for me, it was a motivation. So I've always looked for opportunity to get out of that situation. So I think everybody's different. I think an entrepreneur now is a cool thing to do. Yeah. It's almost trendy. It's shark tank profit, all these right. cool shows. You can be a CEO. You set the valuation of your company. So do you find that a little, I find that a little bit cumbersome when it's a startup that's like, they're not really a real company yet, but everybody's C level and that personality type where it's like, Oh yeah, I'm the CEO. And it's like, yeah. Well, you're like me, man. You're like in your basement, just working hard. Yeah. Why do you got to call yourself a CEO? <laughs> that's right. So I think you're going to see in the future that, uh, a lot of people aren't focused on creating revenue. It used to be you had to start a business, you made revenue and then you grew. But I think now the trend is, I'm raising money. I'm going to seed this. Yeah. I'm going to do another round. So I think there's a lot of professional money raisers, but they don't really have a business. Do you think some businesses get dependent upon just raising money oh, instead sure. of revenue? For sure. Yeah. And that's for a sure. big problem. Absolutely. I think you sit back and wait. A lot of them are going to run out of money and then you can acquire the IP, the ideas, the technology. Because they're fundamentally not thinking about... That's like a vulture revenue. capitalist, right? That's right. Just wait. <laughs> That's exactly this ain't going nowhere. I'll just wait until it's cheap and I'll That's be right. back. That's yeah. exactly right. 
So um, you also started a, a couple of companies. Like I went onto your LinkedIn, you're the co-founder and founder of a couple of different companies. The What is it about that that do you think was appealing to you instead of being the traditional path with most people like i'm gonna go work for a company i'm gonna get a good job again i think it depends on the path for me i didn't think i could i could never really find a job i mean i worked at burger king i worked at kfc i've worked i've cleaned toilets at an airport i worked at burger king for two weeks really so much lard i had to be like no i'm going to subway it's cleaner (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i've worked you know burger king mcdonald's kfc i've cleaned toilets uh Every job you can imagine I've had. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to find a job that you, so when you're young, you don't know what you want to do. So I think everybody's telling you what you should do, but you don't really know what you want to do. Yeah. And so much pressure we put on our kids too. Like, what do you want to do? And then you try and you think back when you were 18, like, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was 18. Mm -hmm. You get a sense of what you like, but not what you want to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a challenge is that every, you don't really know what you want to do when you're young. Mm-hmm. You haven't really experienced a lot of things. For me personally, it was, I was having a hard time finding a job. I mean, I didn't have a skill set. Uh, I didn't go to college. I didn't have a, a network. I didn't have family that could help me. So for me, it was, I, I can't find a job. Nobody's hiring me. So what are the, what are some of the things that I could do that doesn't take a lot of money to start? Yeah. So that's how I was thinking about the trash business or crime scene cleanup. What can I do that requires only my skill set? or labor. Yeah. And that's how I started. In the majority of the business books, they would tell you that you need the, the other things you said you were lacking to really get a foot up. Like you need no. connections, you need, you need education, you need. No, no. that's a bunch of crap. <laughs> I mean, that's a bunch of crap. I mean, nobody really wants to tell you the thing about all these business books. Nobody ever tells you specifics. Yeah. Most you like that microphone. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it Banging it around. You are. Yeah. We were so, talking about this a little bit before the show. Like nobody really gets into the specifics. No. Like here's some principles. They no. sound good. And principles yeah. can be pretty easy to come up with. Cause we just like lift them from the Bible or somebody else yeah. said something yeah. smart. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's my principle. That's what I do. Nobody actually. So the, the two things that I see that's happening is nobody really tells you behind the scenes, how hard it is to be an entrepreneur. Inc magazine just did an article on, what it's really, really like behind the scenes. So the business may appear to be successful, but you're struggling. Yeah. You're working 20 hours a day. Um, you're on, the cash flow situation is not where it needs to be. You don't have traditional financing. So the business is a lot harder than people sometimes make it out to be. Right. And then when you become successful, you never give the details. I've never heard a business book tell me, yeah. how do you tell a banker? It almost gives this load? false illusion. Like yeah. it was easy. And then- all of a sudden it was successful. Oh yeah. And there's, so I think a lot of people are going to fail because they're not being realistic about the the risk or the danger because none of the books, none of the podcasts, nobody tells you specifically, how do you hire employees when you don't have the revenue to pay them market rates? How do you get a banker to give you a loan when you don't have three years of audited financials? Show me a book that tells me specifically, how do I negotiate and get, wholesale pricing when I don't have volume to be able to, to compete with the big guys. Like there's nothing out there for that. Yeah. So I think in America, you've got uh, a lot of people online and LinkedIn that will motivate you how to get out of bed and be excited about starting your day. But right. I think there's a void in the market on what I call the meat and potatoes, mm-hmm. the practical application of, Oh, for sure. Like, how do you do this? Yeah. Cause I'm with you. You can find a lot of stuff about how you should hustle. You can find a lot of stuff that's like uh, get up and grind, all that kind of like that stuff is all over the place. And it's good in a sense if that's your problem. 
if motivation is your problem. But for a lot of small business people, you mentioned this before, like if you already started a company or did the work, like motivation probably isn't your problem. You already, you already did the thing. You got started. Yeah, that's right. Uh, your problem is like, yeah. I need help with this. That's right. Mm. How do you, how do you show the guy who owns an HVAC company who can't find technicians? How do, how do you go and hire technicians? How do you take the guy who owns one little Caesars location and says, okay, here's how you expand that and leverage that. But that is missing. I mean, America is small business. But there's really not a lot of guidance once you're in business on what do you do? Mm. That's the void. Yeah. So I think that's where content needs to be created to help people understand. Here's how I did it specifically. But nobody ever really tells you how they did it. Do you think some of that is because like, I really, I'm a believer in one of the things I, I like social media. First of all, I'm not going to like talk down about it, but I do think it has a, a, a weird kind of connotation that people curate their life in a way. Like here's all the good stuff, but I'm not going to show you like, <laughs> like as I see it all the time. Like, cause we had Charlie Engel on and he's a famous ultra marathoner. And so a lot of people who run started following us and it's like, they only post the run where like they nailed it and the time is good and whatever, Mm -hmm. but I'm trying to get in shape. And I'm like, the majority of my runs are ugly. Like when my wife's like, how'd that run go? I'm like, it was ugly, but I finished. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's (laughs) right. That's right. But there's, there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of, you can't be authentic. Yeah. So, so you didn't, you said you didn't get a college education. Did you learn? Is it trial and error? Just trial and error. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I have faith, so I prayed about, you know, I I prayed throughout this journey on guidance, but one thing that I was smart was I would model successful people. Yeah. So if I met somebody, I would always ask them, what would you do different? Everybody I ever meet, I always say, what would you do different if you could do this? Yeah. You ask us that upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. Because that tell, (laughs) because if, if I meet a man who's 70 years old and he gives me a piece of advice, if I do that, it may not take me 70 years to learn that same lesson. So yeah. I've always tried to find out if you could go back and do it differently and then program myself to actually do that. Yeah. And so that's a reason why I think we've been hugely successful because we listen to smart people. Right. So, so um, let me ask you, I don't, I think this is probably, maybe this is the way you're wired, but if you could give me some practical tips or maybe our listeners, some real practical tips on Do you find that most people who are people that you would want to get information like that from or be like, ask that question to, how do you get those meetings to happen? Do you find some people are resistant to like, who's this guy asking me these questions about what I've learned? Or do you find most people just want to share? I think we all have that skill because if you look at how men date when they're young, they put a lot of time and effort when they're interested in something. When you're interested in something, you go after it. Yeah. So if you're going to send me a random LinkedIn request and and try to sell me, I'm not going to pay attention. But if you write me a handwritten note, I'm going to pay attention. Right. If you stop me at the gas station, if you come up to me at church, I'm going to pay attention. So I don't think people want to put the work in. So a piece of advice that I got that I followed, and it's been the best piece of advice I ever got. They said, meet 10 new people a day, every day. You're not allowed to go to bed until you meet 10 new people a day. Mm. So today. Has there been times where it's like 830 and you're like, oh, oh yeah. I got to go out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Panera Bread saying, hey, hey. what's your name? <laughs> like, what do you do? And so if I meet 10 new people a day. And the other piece of advice I got is don't go to bed until you write 10 handwritten notes. So mm-hmm. every single night I write 10 handwritten notes. And I was recently with Frank Blake, who is the former CEO of Home Depot, who's also on the board of Delta and Procter and Gamble. And he told me that when he was CEO of Home Depot, every Sunday, 
afternoon from one o'clock to about eight o'clock, he would write handwritten notes to his employees at Home Depot. Wow. But he took the stock from nothing and made it to the highest it was ever been. Wow. So here's a guy who's the CEO of Home Depot, hundreds of thousands of employees, makes billions of dollars a year, and he's and very successful. He could easily go play on the boat or hang out with his family. But from one o'clock after church till about eight o'clock, he wrote handwritten notes. Wow. But you don't hear that story. Yeah. Show me somebody online saying that this man, hugely successful, is spending his Sunday afternoon writing his employees' handwritten notes. He told me that fundamentally changed the direction of Home Depot, Mm -hmm. that they were able to restore what Home Depot was originally known for, for service. Nobody does that. Nobody yeah. says that. So, well, there you go. That's some practical advice right there. The Chad Price 10 by 10 challenge. That's, that's right. A big one. Try it for a month, meet 10 people a day, write 10 handwritten notes and make it happen. So we think about what happens. And at the end of the year, how many people do you have in your phone? Yeah. I think if by age 40, you can't just sit in a room and call through your phone, you should be able to start a business, finance a business and get customers through the contacts on your phone. Mm-hmm. But we're not being intentional. about the relationships we build. So people want to be successful, but they're not being intentional about building relationships. They want to be successful, but they're not being intentional about the follow-up. Yeah. So I think that's a term that you never hear anybody talk about. So let's say, let's say, you know who you want to meet. There's somebody in town, you live locally, and there's a person that you think you could learn a lot from. Like what, what would you do to make that relationship happen? You don't have their number. You don't know somebody who knows them. Like what, what would be some steps you would take? Well, uh, depends what age. If you're young, you have a huge advantage because you could say, I'm a student at NC State and I'm uh, researching business owners and I'd like to get some information. Most people will entertain a student or a young person because they just feel like that's what you should do. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, if you're 25 years old, that may not be as effective because you're out of college. And yeah, when they meet you, like, I'm a student. Right. Uh, you been a while, huh? <laughs> 31 years old. <laughs> Late tech. <laughs> so, I audit uh, one class a year yeah, in my 40s. What I would personally do is I would uh, figure out who I want to meet and I would do I would spend a couple hours doing research. I would look up how they vote, uh, who they give money to politically. I'd look at Facebook. I'd look to see if they're married. I'd look at LinkedIn. I would research everything I could about that person. Yeah. If I if I pull up their tax records, I have an address to where they live. Well, I would write them a handwritten note and just say, you know, congratulations on the recent award that you won. I'd love to learn more. If you just reach out and take the time to do it right, I'm not going to send an, a LinkedIn request. I'm going to mail you a note to your house. Right. Well, we all get LinkedIn requests all That's the right. time. That's right. Yeah. Or I'm going to do something different. I'm going to mail them something to their office or stand in the lobby and wait. So are you willing to put the time in to be to, to get to, in front of that person? I don't think most people are. They want to send in, they want to do an email, they want to do a text, they want to do a LinkedIn request, and I just don't think that's enough. That's yeah. another downside of this era we live in with social media is it makes everybody, it detaches people from people, right? So well, we it, have that. It can. I think it's a, it's also a, a shallow connection, right? It's a shallow it's, connection. It's easy. Well, Unlike what you easy. were saying, we didn't it's put easy. in any work to get there. It's, it's really easy just to grow on Instagram and be like, like, and then shoot them a DM, but that might be, how's that going to get noticed? Yeah. I was going to say, I, I have hundreds of stories where I've met people. I didn't know who they were. I've done a handwritten note and it has led to business deals or meeting the president of the United States. So I can't tell you the power of a handwritten note. Yeah. If you get a thousand emails a day, I probably get at least a thousand, no exaggeration, at least a thousand emails a day, probably 60 texts and a couple hundred voicemails. If somebody sends me a handwritten note, and it's on my desk. I always look at it. Cause I don't get much mail. Yeah. 
And I can tell if you've actually signed it or if it's a robo signature. So if I can see someone's taking the time to write something, I will follow up. And if you combine that with they did research and they ask an intelligent question that you are uniquely gifted to answer and help them out with, then that's even going to amplify that they're going to get back to you. That's right. Yeah. Or if somebody, you know, I've, I've taken a book and I've signed the front of a book saying, hey, I read this book and it reminds me of something that you're doing at your company would love the opportunity to meet with you. Yeah. Huge success rate on that. Well, that's way better than just donating to a used bookstore. That's a great plan right there. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Finish the book. Might as well. You guys are giving me great ideas over here. (laughs) So it's not hard, but it's going to be hard for this new generation because they don't want to do the work. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody's talking about hustle and grind and build and, and, but nobody's really given specifics mm. and because the specifics yeah. are hard work. Well, I think maybe one of the components and kind of what you're getting at, like hustle and grind are all about the numbers, like how many followers, how many, how much revenue, how much employees, et cetera. But they're not really relationship based. Like how many relationships have you formed? How many, how many contacts would call you back if you needed help with a favor or you needed? Yeah. I call that the Facebook that. purge. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you want to see how many friends you have, tell them y'all need, tell every friend you have on Facebook that you need 50 bucks because you're in a bind. Those that don't respond, cut them because yeah. you're, they're not real friends. You so know? it turns out you got two friends. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. You're <laughs> not great. as popular as you think. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard examples of people having like two Instagram accounts, one that's mm-hmm. publicly facing that everybody sees. And then there's a the closed group that your friends actually right. see that, that you're more authentic. So I don't know. It's a different era that we're in. I think the advantage that I've always had is I'm not afraid of work and I'll put the work in. And so if somebody's going to be lazy, I'll beat you every time because I will get up early. I'll stay late. I'll write the handwritten note. I'll send the book. uh, I'll show up at your church. Yeah. uh, I'll show up next to you in the airport. I'll go after you. I know. I'm just curious how you prepare for this. I know I learned young and I don't remember who I learned it from, but when I did get the opportunity to meet somebody that I looked up to or I wanted to model some of their behavior or who I viewed as successful and I wanted to pick their brain, I would follow this formula. Like if I had 20 minutes with them, I was going to prepare for four times longer for that conversation because I didn't want to get in there and blow it and be like, you know, the thing with the thing. Could you just (laughs) help me? I really like you. Um, But I wanted it to be productive. I wanted to be helpful for them. Like when you finally get the meeting, are there any kind of uh, guidelines that you follow? I ask questions. Yeah. I don't talk. I think we talk too much. Mm -hmm. So um, anybody that I meet that I think is hugely successful that I would like to get in front of, I always ask questions. One of my first questions is, is, you know, when you were 30 years old, you know, if you could go back, what would you do differently? Right. What's been one of the biggest challenges that you've struggled with? If you were to do it all over again, would you go down the same path? I ask questions that they've probably not been asked. Yeah. And even if you do those with celebrities, they've not, they're not asked that. They're typically asked questions about the book or the movie or right. do you know this person or that person? Or what I typically see when somebody meets like a president, the first thing you'll see them do is they'll try to name drop somebody that they may know. Hey, I know Fred over in, in Charleston. Well, <laughs> you know, like, like you're going to build this instant relationship with the president of the United yeah. States. Like you'd be better off to say, you know, if you could do it all over again, if you're starting over in 2014, what would you do different? Yeah. And then they'll talk and you stand out because you're asking questions that people don't ask. Right. So. I, it's not hard. I mean, if you're going to start a business, 
find some people that you think could give you good advice and just ask them questions. And most people will ask questions and answer them. They yeah. want they want to be the expert. They want to tell you. Yeah. Well, that leads me to a totally unrelated question. But what do you feel like you learned in your 30s that you wish you would have learned? I'm in still your 20s? in my 30s. <laughs> <laughs> like if you could rewind 15 years, what would have saved you the most time? Like what lesson if you could just time machine back and just like drop in like back to the future side and be like, listen, idiot, believe me, do this. Don't do that. Staying focused. So, you know, because you don't know what you want to do, you try a lot of different things. So, right. you know, well, at some point I was starting every business I could start. You know, I had a, I had a restaurant and I had a repair shop and I had a, a dealership. And so I have all these businesses, but each business gets about 10% of my time. Mm-hmm. So I'm really not effective for the business. If I could go back, I think I'd have been laser focused on one thing and do it really, really well. Do you think it was challenging for you because you were trying to find the thing you were most passionate about and you were trying so many different things? Or would you say, no, I don't know that's important. I think it's just, I should have picked one thing and did that thing. It doesn't really matter the thing. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. Because, you know, business is business. I mean, it's customer, customer experience. A lot of the business is the same. So uh, it's why are you doing it? What's the motivation? So when I started Mako, I said, I'm going to support Christian missionaries. I'm going to uh, support local nonprofits. I'm going to hire only military veterans. So I'm only focused on those three things. Right. If I was in the lab or x-ray business or trash business or don't, it doesn't matter if you have the focus, the focus right. of the business is why I'm getting up every morning. I think that's something that we really loved having people on the podcast is it, this message that you just said gets repeated over and over again. I think a lot of younger people get confused about what they're doing with why they're doing and they don't realize how disconnected they are. Like it wouldn't be my first thing to be like, you know what, if that's my goal, I want to help Christian missionaries and I want to help uh, nonprofits and I want to provide jobs for people in the military. I wouldn't go, I need to make medical devices like that's (laughs) well I was thinking you know okay a medical device you know I'm sure there's a lot of people in other countries that need access to health care right but it was more about leveraging Leveraging. that to do what you really wanted to do I think we I think again this is a social media issue and I think it's only going to get worse where some industries are more sexier than others. Some yeah. businesses are more sexier than others. And so if you can find the why behind what you do, it doesn't matter what I do. I could rake rocks all day long and have just as much fun. Yeah. If I'm raking rocks, knowing that half my workers are military veterans, all my revenue is supporting all these nonprofits and causes. And I've got 82 missionary families around the world, depending on me. Like I'm not focused on the rocks. Mm-hmm. It's still a business. Sometimes I think we say, wow, that bi- I'd love to be in the technology business. Every industry has its problems. Yeah. So sometimes I think you focus too much on what you're doing and not on the why. Because if you don't have the why, you're going to burn out. I don't care what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You get tired. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And then you start chasing the money and then you start bending the rules because it's harder than you thought. And then it starts getting frustrated. Yeah. And then, you know. How long do you feel like? you were in a point where you were investing into the business, but it wasn't making you money yet. Mm. We've always led with the story, the why. Yeah. I think you're starting to see more and more of that. You know, the company that does the socks that just sold to Walmart, where if you buy a pair of socks, they donate some to the the homeless shelter. I think if you could build a cause around what you're doing, Mm -hmm. you focus on that. And you'll be way more successful and make way more money. 
So I think that's just human being. You're always going to have early adopters. That was the kid. Just think about back to school. You have the kids that leave early, those that follow the rules and then those that are the next classes come in and they're still putting their stuff in the book bag. So, you know, I don't think we need to overly complicate it. There's always going to be early adopters. There's going to be the procrastinator and then the group that goes with the popular kid. So Mm -hmm. in business, uh, if you create excitement and you're passionate and when you lead with a story, everything I've ever done, I lead with a story. I don't, I will not do a business unless it's backed by a cause. If I'm going to make zippers, then I'm going to only employ the blind to make the zippers. If, if there's not a cause behind it, I'm not interested in it yeah. because I think you can see with these very successful people, they're still miserable. They make a lot of money. I mean, look at Robin Williams, you know, these people that have everything and they're still miserable. Yeah. So I think we have to train and let people understand you can be hugely successful, make all the money you want to make, but focus on a cause. Yeah. Whatever it is, focus on a cause. And I think what you're saying is really important. And you could be fooled and listening right now and saying like, oh, that's just a gimmick to make money. Like if you're Tom's or the socks company. But really, I think what you're saying is it's very important for you. Otherwise, you're going to lose steam and you're going to lose that's your right. passion and you're going right. to lose your ability to make it through what is tough, like that's becoming right. an entrepreneur. Like it is not an easy yeah, it's easy to not Path. until you do it, right? It's easy to say, oh, you're only doing it for, well, then why don't you go right. to three charity events a week instead of playing poker with your friends? Uh, why don't you donate one of your products mm-hmm. to a charity and not get revenue on that item? Yeah. And don't tell me it's a write-off because if you know anything about business, they're all write-off. <laughs> it's a business expense. All of it comes off. So it's easy to say because mm-hmm. you're typically too lazy to do it, but you, you nailed it. The reason you want to find a cause is when it, when it's, when it's tough and it's hard and nobody's there, it's like, all right, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for these people. Right. It's motivation. Mm-hmm. So when we started the business, we're only four years old. Like you said, we have the record in North Carolina is the fastest growing company ever, not just one year, two year, but three years in a row. And we're in a state that's rated Raleigh's rated the third best place to live in the world. Right. Pretty consistently for like the last decade. Number one in America, yeah. third in the world. Better than Chernobyl? <laughs> I think Australia was one and two. <laughs> so you've got a competitive environment with right. MetLife and Cisco and IBM and all these companies. And big companies move here yes. all the time. And you're fighting for talent. So we started this business. We had no experience, no background, no education, never been in healthcare. And we started with the three promises. We're going to take our profits, do non- support local nonprofits and charities, basically around kids and women. We're going to hire military veterans and we're going to support Christian uh, missionaries. Those are not popular things to do. Yeah. You know, a lot of people won't even tell you they're a Christian company because they're afraid of what will happen. So we started with those things. The first year is fun. You don't know what you don't know. It's just fun. It's a group of people in a 2000 square foot house with one machine doing one test. Like we're a lab, right? We'll do one machine, one test. By the second year, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Everything that could go wrong. My controller was stealing money. I had eight salespeople moving business to a competitor. We moved the lab from one facility to the next and every one of our machines broke. Mm. In the lab business, if you don't get results back in 12 hours, doctors complain. My machines are broke. It's going to take 60 days to even get them fixed. Mm. So everything that could go wrong from uh, the bank cut our line of credit because we were unable to run tests, which affected our revenue, which means they're scared of the line. So I lose my line of credit. Medicare, Medicaid come out and say they're going to cut our rates, which they do. They can just come out and say we're going to cut. So think about it. You start this business. Everything you have is in it. Yeah. Your home, you cash in your 401k. You've sold everything. You start the business. 
you're having fun the first year, second year, you go into the business, your machines are broke. You catch eight salespeople moving business to the competitors because, you know, the competitors are poaching your, you've got a controller stealing money. You got a rate cut. And there's about five other things that I'm dealing with. Yeah. So if I didn't have a cause, it's not worth it. I know I can go get a job and make good money. I know sure. I, I, I could go to any company in America and say, I'll work for free for a year, but if I do a good job, you owe me a big check. Yeah. And I'll just support myself off 10 credit cards. That's how I get a job. When you don't have skills in America, you have to, you have to bet on yourself. So I would go to any employer in America and say, I don't have a degree. I don't have any experience, but I'll work for free. If I do a good job and execute, then you owe me a big check and I'll work for free for the year. So I know I could get a job, but in 16, the thing that made me stick it out, I mean, we would literally work two to three days without sleeping. My power was shut off. The bank was knocking on the door saying, if you don't make a payment, we're starting foreclosing proceedings. My credit karma, you know, we all have credit karma now. I'm getting pings every day. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not just 30 days late. I'm 60 days late, 90 days. Yeah. I've never had a late payment in my life. I've never had a late payment in my life with any credit card. I've never had a late payment. Yeah. I've always lived below my means. But here I am in 2016 at 35 years old. And I've got my power that's been shut off. I have no cable. And we got $4,000 in the bank account. We have $100,000 due by Friday. Everything that could go wrong in a business. If you don't have a cause, it's easy to just say, you know what? I'm just going to go get a job working for somebody. Yeah, It's not worth it. But I'm like, no, no, we're going to do this because we're going to build something that's great. We're going to create these opportunities for veterans and we're going to we're going to build homes for the blind and foster kids in West Virginia. We're going to have riding ranches if you're paralyzed. We're going to do this. So that becomes my drive. So I'm not working for the business anymore. I'm working for the cause. Right. And you said that you never go into a business without a story. So like if you had it. You know, you guys are all, you're probably all familiar with the idea of an elevator pitch. You get on an elevator, you've got X amount of time, but for the next floor to tell somebody what you do. Um, so do your, do your elevator pitches always start with a story? Absolutely. So I help veterans and I help, and I do that by this. Yeah. But I think a lot of people start with a very weak elevator pitch and they just start with the things they do. And you can tell they're almost even not excited about it. You ever seen that? Like, what do you do? You see their, their tone of their voice drops. I do this. <laughs> but really, and then they'll perk up something later when it might be about the cause. But I think it's really important to lead with that. I don't think you hear enough people saying you got to find a cause. And I don't care if you're into animals, if you're into saving straws in California, whatever you're into. Yeah. Find something that you're passionate about and then focus on that and let the revenue be a byproduct of the focus because, uh, a lot of people make business look easy and simple and it's tough. It's very tough. Even when you get to a place like Mako is now we're four years in, we have over 500 employees. We have all these records. We're profitable. We're growing. We, we grew 1500% last year. We're on track to double that this year. We still have a thousand issues that we have to deal with. Yeah. So at some point you're always every day, if I don't think about the cause, It's like, why am I putting myself through this? Mm -hmm. 500 potential HR issues every single day. Why am I doing this? Most businesses in America, I think the reason why when you meet the mom and pop that owns the insurance agency, they're burnt out. The guy who owns the donut shop, he's burnt out. The guy who owns the tire shop, he's burnt out. Right. He's tired. So if they could figure out why we're doing this, I think you would see people get really excited about their business. So that's a a good point. So, Another kind of like practical question, if, 
Because on your LinkedIn, you talked about your ability or your experience uh, working with things that started out as like regional businesses and say, or started out as mom and pops and mm-hmm. moving them to regional businesses. So have you noticed any trends there? Like what, what do people in the mom and pop situation where they've proved the model, they can make money, um, who are maybe ready to take the next step and in getting into the franchising, which is nailing it and scaling it. Like what at that point do you think that business owners need to start doing and what do they need to stop doing? So when you're brand new, it's fun, right? It's exciting. Mm-hmm. It's easy to start. We got this idea. We're going to make a lot of money. It's easy to recruit anybody for a startup. Everybody loves to say they work for a startup. Yeah. But then about two Unlimited years, upside. that's right. Oh yeah. You make all this money. It's fun. We wear t-shirts instead of yeah. uniforms. We have espresso and ping pong. You, know, you wear your vans, shoes to work. And, and yeah, we're, we're all, we have our quarterly meetings at the bar. Like it, it's fun. Yeah. That part's fun. What's but you've got to transition the business into you've got to recruit people that see the vision and you've got to give them the ability to be able to lead that company. So the first thing that I did was I spent all my time recruiting. I still spend 50% of my time recruiting managers and leaders that I want. I recruit hard, just like a good basketball team. Mm-hmm. You recruit. Um, but when you want to take a single operation and expand it, you really have to make sure that you have a core group of people who understand the philosophy, the vision, and they're dedicated to what you're doing. And we spend a lot of time on that piece. So when you scale a company, that's one of the most important pieces is, and also getting feedback from the customer. Again, I think a lot of people grow their business because they're raising rounds of money. Yeah. And then when the money runs out, the business goes away and then they do it all over again. We were very, very focused on, we are going to make sure that we get customer feedback and we tweak this product or service until the customers say, Oh, we love it. Yeah. And then we're going to ask the customers to help grow our business. But I think from a internal operation, you got to have a team of people that's dedicated and the way that they're going to be dedicated is you have to let them fail. So I had to let them make decisions. I knew that weren't necessarily the best decisions, but I had to let them fail because I had to let them grow on their own and get there. If I was making all the decisions and blocking, because I have to develop a team that's going to grow with me. Right. So I think one of the biggest challenges in these small uh, mom and pops that you always see or any small business is that a couple people are making all the decisions and the rest really just take the decisions. And so you have to be willing to let your team fail. And because they grow from that and learn from that, and then you're prepping them for the future. If you don't, if you want to make all the decisions, well, you're never going to be able to scale the company because you're limited. Right. So, so let's say you've empowered somebody, given the freedom to fail and they've, they've made a mistake an employee made a mistake and it was in a costly mistake for you. How do you make sure that they learn that lesson without being like a jerk, without like crushing them and making them feel like I should quit? <laughs> um, the only thing that I ask my entire team is, you know, just know exactly, be consistent in your decision-making process. Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes a good judge in America. I may not always agree with a judge or a judge's decision, but as long as I know why they're making a decision, I can be okay with it. So as long as I know why, why the employees, so we have common goals. So this could be a common goal. Like no matter what we do, it can impact the customer experience, no matter what. Okay. Number two, we're always going to follow the rules and be compliant no matter what. So you start with a couple goals and, and you can hold them accountable. Then does it seem like you're pulling stuff out of the air? Like, no, we said we were doing this and we said we were doing this. There's no excuse. You didn't do it. So I tell the team, these are the goals. And now if they make a decision, we had one last year, make a decision that cost us a couple million dollars. I mean, it was a big hit, but as long as I understand and they understand 
where it went wrong mm-hmm. and how to avoid that in the future. I have an employee now that I could take and put him in any market in America and grow with because yeah. he, he has learned from that experience. If I'm making the decisions for them, then I'm never able to grow because I can't put him in Oklahoma because. Right. And you never get out of that seat because no, they're never going to be no. empowered to make the decision. That's and, right. Most yeah. people don't really own a business. They just bought a job. Hmm. If you really have a business, you can go away and the business doesn't need you. So there's a difference. Create an organization that doesn't need you. I've never heard that before. That's really good. <laughs> That's a good people don't own a business. They just bought a job. They bought a job. I don't like working for that jerk. I'm going to work for myself. <laughs> <laughs> you go buy a subway and, but you know, if you work at 80 hours a week, you just bought yourself a job. If you want a business, you create a subway or a business where, or any business that doesn't depend on you. Yeah. So you got to, you got to be willing to make those mistakes. That's hard. So as another way of saying that, like um, if you want to be successful in business, you have to find a way to convert it to passive income. Like where it's not just like a, did you ever read the book? Like, I wonder if you read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm not a fan. Not a fan. No. So what is it about that that you're not a fan? No, because one thing I hate about anything online or any of these business books, tell me the full story. Yeah. Tell me the story behind the story. It is a book filled with really good stories. It is, but you know, he, he, he compares his dad versus, you know, this other dad and this other dad was more of an entrepreneur and his, but he doesn't say where he got the money. Do you know actually where he made his money? Oh, no idea. No. Oh, we forgot. He forgot to say that in the book. Yeah. He made it off the Velcro wallet, the surfer wallet. Oh, okay. Hmm. Why isn't that in the book? Guess who gave the money to, to do that? I don't know. His dad, his real dad. Oh, the one that was the bad example in the book. Yeah. Huh. So I have a real problem when people don't tell the full story. Right. You know, don't act like you've trudged through the roughness of an entrepreneur field and leave out key details that don't relate to me. I don't have a father that could give me $100,000 to help me create a Velcro wallet in 1972 that I made a million dollars off of prior to even doing the book series. Like, give me the full story. Right. So I'm not a fan when you don't give me all the details, because as a business owner, I'm searching for answers. And if you're leaving key parts out, yeah, you're missing it. So I'm not, I'm just not a fan of books like that. that. I read an article, I think it was WRL did it on you. And it was talking about like the beginning with you and your friend who started Mako. It wasn't a field that you knew a lot about, but you just called it like the God and Google strategy. That's right. Um, like we're going to figure this out between God and Google. <laughs> like we're going to get some insight from God, the two G's, you know, the right. original OG's. There they are. Right. <laughs> what we can't get from God, we're going to Google. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, so. Cause again, we didn't have, I, I can't stress it enough. So anybody who's listening to this, we had no education, no experience, no background, no money. We've never raised money. We learned how to raise money by watching every single episode of Shark Tank. Yeah. Uh, we learned how to talk to possible investors by watching Shark Tank. We watched business strategy from the show of The Profit. We Googled everything. We Googled, right. how do you hire a doctor? What do you pay a doctor? Yeah. What questions do you ask a doctor in an interview? So there is absolutely no excuse in America if you want to build a business. Right. Well, God, and then we prayed. So Google. Right. So, so. I think the reason people find stories like yours so impressive is because it's like, oh, even without all the things that you should have, but I'm from your perspective, what did you have? Because it's it's easy to make a list of the things you didn't have. Yeah, um, drive. I had a drive. Vision. I believed I believed in myself that I could do it. 
mm-hmm. even though I knew I didn't have all the answers. I didn't have all the resources um, because I had spent the last 15 years getting 10 contacts a day in my phone. Yeah. I knew that I had some contacts in my phone that could help me if I needed help and that could help me uh, if I had a question. So the relationships that I, t- I was methodical in building over the last 15 years, mm-hmm. that was helpful. Um, but other than that, I mean, you don't see a lot of the stories, but you know, how do you build that muscle? Cause like I'm, I'm in startup mode again. Mm-hmm. I was running, I was freelance for a long time. I was working a professional job and now I'm doing it again full time. And, um, I was talking to my wife about it. Like in, in the other job, I understood the rules. I understood the man I needed to be, to be mm-hmm. successful at the job and how I needed to, what I needed to learn and who I needed to surround myself with. And, uh, one of the things for me is like that, how do you flex that muscle of, believing in yourself like what what puts into the pro category because you mentioned it's a rewind to 2014 which Mm -hmm. is the year that everything was rough how did you keep that bucket filled during that time when everything was going wrong um prayer i you know i have faith so again i felt like there's a mission behind why i'm doing this if 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 the Lord allows me to be successful with this business then i could use the resources to do things for the kingdom so if you don't have faith i think you it it's much tougher because you only see things for what you see them. You, mm-hmm. you can't really see things that you can't see. So um, you just, I, I'll answer it this way. This is the best way to answer it. You can't have a plan B. You can't have a plan B. Burn the ships. You got to burn them all down. And everybody I meet has a plan B. When I hear about side hustle, if you're going to work at Cisco, don't have a side hustle. If you're going to do a side hustle, do the side hustle. Don't do the job. You're stealing from your employer. Like if you're, if you're going to work at Lenovo, work at Lenovo. Don't do Lenovo and do the side hustle. I hate side hustles. I think the number one problem is, is people have plan B. They go into a relationship. Things get a little bit tough. Next thing you know, they're text messaging other people. They're sending Facebook messages and everybody operates with a plan B. They're at work. Things get a little bit tough. Next thing you know, they're on, they're on indeed. They're starting to scroll. Mm-hmm. see what other opportunities are out there. You cannot go into a situation with plan B. When I went into Mako, I removed every single option of a plan B. And I required every single person who was going to do this journey with me. You had to sell everything. There cannot be a plan B. And I knew when it got tough, the resiliency and the fact we had no other options we would either come through it or even if we failed, yeah. we had done everything humanly possible. You're creating this environment where you're super motivated by a cause that you're excited about, right. where you don't really have another option That's lined right. up and you haven't been keeping something going on the side burner yeah. for a while. So you're just creating an environment right. to stick with it. That's right. And I don't know if you're, I don't watch a lot of movies, but there's this one scene on Batman. It was the first, like the dark night. Okay. No, it was the second one, Bane. Okay. Yeah, Bane. Okay. Great voice. So, Bane. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So this podcast would be a lot better if you sounded like Bane, Josh. That's I, right. I can do that. <laughs> yes. a little bit more so there was one scene and it, you know, it's cheesy. You don't ever want to quote Batman in a, a, a boardroom or nothing. You're like, <laughs> it's calmest before the darkest. You <laughs> <laughs> may not have a job, but uh, Bane had gotten out of that cave. Remember? And Batman kept trying to climb up the rock and kept falling. He could not figure out how Bane got out of the cave. Mm-hmm. He, he was yeah. stuck. He was trapped. He was in a mine or something. Right. And the little boy in there said he didn't have a rope. And I was like, man, that is, that's a great book title. He didn't have a rope. Even though it's a movie, 
Batman was climbing and every time he fell, there was a rope that saved him and kept him from dying. Mm-hmm. The little boy said he had no rope. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, that is life. When you go into a situation and you know, you have an exit plan, you will always be thinking about that when the time gets tough. You will always think about that. Yeah. So, you know, you look at the guy who landed that plane in the Hudson. He had no options. He had no options. Yeah. So he had, he was, no one could do what he he did, but he laser focused on that situation. If he would have had an option for a parachute or to be able to do something else, he might've done it and it may not have turned out the way it did, but he had no option. So I think a lot of people in business have a plan B. My wife works. Mm -hmm. I got a retirement. I got a 401k. Well, if this doesn't work, I can go back to NetApp or I can go back to Cisco or I can go back to my old job. Uh, We have, uh, if this doesn't work, my wife has a really good job. Uh, My brother owns a company. I could go work with my brother. You can't have a plan B. Take the plan B away. If I'd had a plan B in 2016. How do you take the plan B away? You, I mean, we all know ourselves. Hey, listen, dude, you're a jerk. I haven't told you this, but (laughs) don't hire (laughs) me. There's no way they'll hire hire you. (laughs) I stole your girlfriend's high school. I'm sure you don't mean sabotage, but like, (laughs) yeah. And I know it's a hard, but if I would have had an option in 2016, I promise you, I would have taken it. Yeah. It it got to the point where it was just, it was just too tough. You keep saying the word like focus. So I think like the idea of like, if you're on indeed, you're distracted. Like you're thinking of the next thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I noticed this as a, as a dad, I talk to my daughters all the time because they're always concerned about what's coming next and they're not paying attention to what's happening Mm -hmm. right now. And that's like really what focus is like mindfulness and all the meditation. Well, you know, you know what they say in in AA, it's if you have one foot, it's kind of cheesy. But if you have one foot in yesterday and one foot in tomorrow, you're pissing all over today. (laughs) That's funny. I never heard that. You put that on a (laughs) t-shirt. We got a lot of great t-shirt ideas from this episode. Sorry, Joe, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You were deep in thought there on something, right? No, I didn't finish the thought. You did? I totally agree. I think that's what meditation is. Just learning how to do one thing at a time. That's what focus is. You just got to learn how to do one thing at a time. And so putting all your effort and energy into one thing at a time changes the way you look at it, the way you approach it. I think the Batman story is great. I don't care that it's from a movie. Like yeah, it. You're going to climb different if you don't have a rope. I like it. Well, there's another, if you want to do movies, I, you know, I don't watch a lot of movies, but this will be my second movie reference. Uh, <laughs> you know, the movie 300, mm. right? Mm-hmm. The opening scene the Spartans at five, remember they pulled the children away from their mom and they started teaching them how to fight mm-hmm. and they were hitting the, these five-year-olds, you know, oh, yeah. with the sticks pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And the Persians didn't even begin training until 18. Well, when the Persian met the Spartan, the Spartan always won. So there's a life lesson in that. If you're not prepping and preparing for the battle to come, you're going to get slaughtered. Yeah. So there's, there's an example and that's a historical example of preparation with a five-year-old for war versus an 18 year old that didn't start. Yeah. So again, I I just think that in life, everybody I meet, everybody has plan B. When I hear a side hustle, I'm just like, you're not serious about it. Mm. Why is it? If you notice on shark tank, they always ask you, are you doing anything else? Cause they're thinking the same thing. If you're fully committed to this invention or idea and you're not all in, I'm not investing in you because you're not invested in this all the way. Mm. So that's, if you pay attention, they'll notice they ask that question all the time. Yeah. Is this your full-time job? 
That's a loaded question. Right. It's like, no, I'm doing that. Every one of them, you watch their face, they're out. Because you know what? I'm not investing in somebody that's not 100%. You see them literally cross something off their little notebook. Like, okay, so. All right. I'm out. (laughs) doing it. I'm not. And when we invest in companies now, we're fortunate enough to be able to be an investor in some startups. That's the first question I ask. Do you have anything else that you're doing? Yeah. Because it's 100% in. Well, speaking of questions you ask, what's in an interview process, you mentioned you spend a lot of time recruiting. What's your go-to, this is the most informative question. The answer to this is the most loaded. I love this question when interviewing question. Tell me the most creative thing you've ever done. So if you're married, I want to know how you propose to your wife. Because what I want to see is without any guidance, without any help on a critical thinking what is the most creative thing? I don't care if it was sneaking into a concert. I don't care how you proposed to your wife. What is the most creative thing you've ever done? Because what you're showing me is on your own ability, you're able to critically think through something and come up with a result that you want. Yeah. And you will be surprised how many people struggle and they're not creative. So think about that. If, if, if you're 28 years old, and you're telling me how great you are and how amazing you are and how smart you are and how hardworking you are. And I ask you to tell me the most creative thing you've ever done. And you're struggling with that. Why am I to think that over the next 20 years, you're actually going to figure it out? Because, you know, so for me, the creativity is a big deal because when you're a small business and you don't have a lot of resources, you got to outsmart the competition. Well, you do that by being creative. If you're not naturally creative, you're not going to think of sending somebody a book with a note in it. Yeah. I'd have to tell you to do that. And then you're leaning on me when I want you to help build the brand. Uh So for me, what is the most creative thing you've ever done? And um, what are you passionate about? That's another one that will stun people. What are you most passionate about? Yeah. I just want to see, is there anything that they get excited about? If they don't get excited, then I'm never going to be able to get them motivated about my brand or the company or our mission. If I have somebody says, "Mm, I don't really know, you know, I like football. (laughs) thanks for coming (laughs) okay that's great (laughs) but I can't motivate you so to me if you're not creative and you're not passionate about something those are two fundamental qualities I need in order to have you run a department or location uh, and carry the torch if you're people that are not passionate you, it doesn't matter what I do at the company. They're never going to get excited. They're never going to be the one to put the logo on their cars. They're never going to be the one to wear the socks. They're never going to be the one to go on a date with the logo on their shirt. They're never going to do it. Like I cannot, it will take too much work to get them to a place to where they're all at. I just can't do it. Yeah. So. That's good stuff. I like the logo. The Mako is the fastest shark in the world. That's right. It swims at speeds of 60 miles per hour. And can leap completely out of the water. Six feet, to be exact. And it's the smartest. And it's the smartest. This portion brought to you by Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> and Mako Medical Laboratories. That's yeah. right. So uh, why Mako? Why Mako? Yeah. Sharks. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you were just going to directly quote Josh. I was. I, was. <laughs> I give you my elevator. <laughs> Sharks never sleep. Labs are 24-7. Boom. Boom. Yeah. But. No, and we, uh, everything we do was intentional. So when we started the business, I said, I want to do something so different. I could not find another healthcare lab company that had an animal in its name. So I said, I'm going to go completely different. So that's another strategy we use. Um, Did you explore other options like cheetah? 
zebra z labs black and white we do it right you know all that wow. stuff. yeah mm-hmm. i like anim- people like animals think about all the shirts with animals on it oh yeah. gosh they're lovely so i mean it's so just the, easy to build a brand off of is the main yeah. reason behind that is you're looking to be disruptive or you're looking to stand out like what's the you got i think you got to do both be disruptive and you have to stand out i mean Mako is not a typical name for a healthcare company or a lab so they never confuse me with lab core and quest but most people will say lab quest wow and it's memorable. You're like, oh, the one with the shark. Yeah, the shark company. <laughs> yeah. The shark company. Yeah. So we were very intentional about choosing a brand that you could build around. And I thought, you know, if, if I'm going to ask employees to put it on their shirts and jackets and shoes and socks, then it needs to be a logo that they're proud of. Mm-hmm. So being intentional about those pieces. And I think, again, when you're starting a business, you don't really think about that. Yeah. You're just thinking about starting the business. Try to be intentional about where you want to be 10 years from now. And then you won't choose a name like with the city in it, like Raleigh HVAC company. You know? Yeah. That's, it's kind of limiting. Yeah. Um, so the shark, we wanted an animal. We wanted something different. Is the shark an animal? It is, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a category of an animal. Yeah. Baby shark was popular. So I was like, Hey, we already have a theme song. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't have to think through a theme song. <laughs> oh man. Now that's in my head. I don't have to think through a theme song. So anyway. Love it. I just want to recap a little bit. The, the 10 by 10 challenge, I think is a really cool idea. I'm telling you, if you do that, I promise you, if you just write, meet 10 new people a day and then write 10 notes before you go to bed every single night, I promise you, I don't care what you'll do, you'll be successful. So Josh and I do this thing where we call the guys who do stuff challenge. The guys who do stuff challenge. Do this stuff. Part of the reason we started this is to challenge ourselves to do more stuff. So we're going to do this, Josh. This week, join us on this. I think it's going to be worth your time. Yeah. Uh, If anything, it's going to help you with a lot of stuff that's good outside of business. It helps Mm -hmm. you be grateful. It helps you focus on the right things. And it helps you you get outside of yourself. You're looking for other people instead of looking inwards. Like, even if you're not a business person, you should do this. It helps your handwriting. (laughs) Well, you know what will happen is if you're writing 10 notes a night and you're marrying, who do you think is occasionally going to get a handwritten note? Yeah. Mama. If you have a daughter. Who's going to occasionally get a note? Baby girl. Son. Who's going to occasionally get a note? Wow. What happens when you do 10 notes a night, you start to write these notes, but then people in your life that you've met that have had an impact, an old pastor, you will write notes to people and you don't know how much that means to somebody, especially even if you're married or you've got a daughter or something and and you're doing, if you just think you're going to do it, you're not going to do it. You got to train yourself with a routine of writing these notes. Yeah, it's a win-win for both. You're right on. I've known pastors that... They they have a drawer mm. in their office mm. where that's the drawer with a couple of handwritten notes. Oh, yeah. There's so much like think about just in people's lives. There's so much criticism. There's so much bad stuff we get every day to yeah. get something encouraging that's personalized. Yeah. And, um, and I think that makes a great tip for these thank you notes is, is don't just be generic. Be as specific as you possibly oh, yeah. can. So I, I'll give you an example. This this. So I have USA insurance. So I call 1-800-831-5111 when I need USA stuff, right? <laughs> and I love USA. It's amazing. They have a great culture. So I call USA and I ask the guy, I said, do you like working at USA? He goes, I love it. I said, this is, I'm getting a quote on a car insurance, but I'm asking what do you like USA? You know, <laughs> I'm just trying to get him off the script. Yeah. I just want to see him go off script. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, I love it. I said, well, what don't you like about it? And then he probably had to hit the unrecord button because <laughs> the calls are being recorded. Like, Hold on. <clears throat> yes. He said, I love it, but it's so big of a company. It's hard to stand out. We have over 10,000 employees. Mm. So I said, all right, I'll tell you exactly how to get promoted. I said, but you got to do it exactly the way I'm telling you. It's like a recipe. You cannot substitute things you don't like. You got to do my recipe. <laughs> so I said, I want you to write a handwritten note every single week 
to the CEO, which was General Robles at the time. I said, you write a note to General Robles and I want you to find something that you guys are doing as a company. And I want you to to write that in the note. So I gave him an example, you know, thank you for your leadership. And I'm glad that we continued funding this military organization or something, or thank you for this new program that we rolled out to all employees with children that allow to have, you know, yeah. pick something that he's doing in the company and just acknowledge it. So I made him write my number back down. And I said, I want you to do it every single week. You're never going to get a response. So I'm gonna tell you some of these handwritten notes. You'll never ever get a response, ever. Don't do it with the intention of getting a response, ever. But they get them, they read them, and they know. And when they see you, they're gonna say something. He called me back, it was probably about a month and a half later, he had been promoted. Oh wow. Because now the CEO knew who this guy was. Right. And when you're running a company, like you said, it's a lot of negative. So when somebody stands out for being positive, you're always going to remember that person. And he got promoted. Yeah. And there's hundreds and hundreds of stories that way. So I had met President Bush that way. I wrote hundreds and hundreds of handwritten notes. You're never going to get a response. And then one day. You wrote hundreds of notes to President Bush. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know. I just wanted to meet him. You know, I've sit there, watch September 11th and everything he did. And I was fascinated. Was he really what the media portrayed? So I'd write handwritten notes and eventually somebody will respond. Yeah. But there's, you want to just put yourself in this situation about the 40th one. The president's <laughs> secretary is like, all right, read this That's one. Exactly right. This guy's done it 40 times. Right. He's real persistent. That's if you right. could just read this one, yeah. please. And then she doesn't have this nagging feeling of guilt. Yeah. That she, Somebody's she trashed her first yeah. 40. That's right. <laughs> She's worried because she's thinking, wow, what happens if he starts sending them to somebody else? And then they're going to know I got rid of those notes. Yeah. So, mm. uh, but little things like that. Imagine if you're married and you wrote your wife a handwritten note once a month. She didn't know when she was getting it, but mm -hmm. I'm just telling you the, the power of a handwritten note. And then once you do the notes, you start thinking creatively like a book or a Bible or a piece of wood or a rock or something you found, just something you send yeah. to somebody and say, I saw this and it reminded me of you. Hope you had a great day. Yeah. You know, it's powerful. Yeah. So don't the challenge of aggressive things like something terrible. Like I saw these weight loss pills and it reminded me of you. <laughs> Send Superman some kryptonite. <laughs> this little Debbie cake reminded me of you. This little Debbie cake. <laughs> so no, that would be the challenge. If you yeah. do that, someone told me that that was the best advice I've ever been given. Yeah. And I think, you know, the Lord has blessed me, but because of that, I have contacts and relationships with a lot of people now. What kind uh, of pins do you like? Pens. Pens. Yeah, do you have a certain ink pen that you like or pencil? No, but I can tell you it takes one hour to write 10 handwritten notes. You know that. And address them. I've tried yeah. to beat the time on that. It takes one hour to do it right and to do a personalized message. But you know what? Yeah. You don't want to do form letters. You're wasting your time. No. Mm. Don't do form letters. And, you know, it's just like Christmas cards. If you're not going to write them or sign them yourself, don't send them. Yeah. Nobody cares about that. So, Genius. Yeah. Anyway. All right, boys. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chad. It's been awesome. Thanks for listening, everybody. We love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today? You've been a wizard like that, and you're like, it's so true. And then you start doing it, and you realize, oh my gosh, it works. And it's it works like scary well, like writing a handwritten note and really focusing on the other person. It's so element. It's like, it reminds me of this thing I've heard about when technology gets so supreme in warfare that eventually we just annihilate each other and go back to throwing rocks. Yeah. It's like, 
Let's just take it back. It's like that with business principles. I feel like it's been such a, a privilege for us to be able to get to talk to accomplished men and women. And we finally have a woman on the podcast soon. We're excited about that. Don't yeah, miss yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but uh, it's been such like a crash course in like he was talking about on this episode. Like if I could just ask somebody one question, I'd ask him, what would you do differently? Yeah. And the it just feels like the setup of a really cool adventure that we're on to be like all these great people come and hang out and we get to talk to them for a little bit and they pass on a little bit of wisdom. And uh, we're just really excited. We get to share that with you guys. Yep. Thank you for listening to the guys who do stuff podcast. Visit guys who do stuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that.